Welcome to Reverberate. I'm Chris Michael, and in this series, I'm exploring how music can leave an indelible mark on the history of a place. It's the 1980s. You're a 16-year-old South Asian kid living in Birmingham. And a friend invites you to a birthday party at a pub one afternoon. It's on a need-to-know basis, friends of friends only, and you show up. There's a couple of dozen people, mostly South Asian like you, with some mainstream pop music playing and a birthday cake. You don't know it yet, but you've just attended your first afternoon rave. Then people started creating their own little flyers. A lot of them were just black and white. I assume that a lot of them were using school equipment to copy them off, using the little uh, things you used to get out there, pencil cases. That's Boy Chana, a music journalist and DJ in Walsall who went to loads of these back in the day. Each event he went to was different. The music, the location, the people. But they all had one thing in common. The parents didn't have a clue. There was secret in the fact that in the 80s, early 80s, you know, Asian kids couldn't go out uh, in the evening. There were kids going to school in their uniforms, uh, and then at 12 o'clock comes, they'd run out the school gates or the college gates, and they'd get changed. And then once the 3, 4 o'clock hit, they'd get changed again and then go back home in the uniform. South Asian parents were, typically at least, pretty strict. If you were a teenager, especially a girl, he didn't really have any opportunity to go out, socialize, meet cute boys. As far as your parents were concerned, your head was in your books. But as these secret gatherings of kids bunking off school got bigger, someone had the bright idea to do one in the center of the city, close to all the main colleges. Suddenly, everyone was going, and afternoon raves became an entire industry. People would were just there just to shock out and, and get crazy to the music. And used to be like um, you know, dance-offs, used to be, you know, people used to come and dress up really, really well. Especially the ladies used to come and dress up in, like, in their suits, Indian suits and stuff like that. Guys used to come in suits and ties and stuff. So really, really looking smart and they really made an effort. Of course, this was the pre-digital age. We used to use cassette tapes, you know, to DJ. It was like, that was a, an art in itself to try to retry in a dark room to find the exact point you want to play a cassette at. So you'd rewind forward, rewind forward. And, you know, you used to use a pencil to kind of rewind it forward. It. And then when the tape used to get messed up, that was like, wow, what's going on? And with every passing event, the music began to evolve. Pop was fun, but all these partiers dressed up to the nines, who were known as daytimers, wanted something to call their own. And so the DJs began to experiment with a new type of music. It was upbeat, dancey, but defiantly South Asian. And it went by the name Bangra. But for many of these kids, Bangra wasn't just party music. It was an escape. Almost a declaration. After all, the 1980s were not an easy time to be Punjabi in Birmingham. 
This is the sound of Soho Road in Handsworth, Birmingham today. It's vibrant, it's busy, it's alive. And for a generation of South Asians who came to Britain after the war, it was home. Punjabis had a long history with Britain. Many had served in the Imperial Army, and now there was a labor shortage, particularly in industrial areas like Birmingham. Many families came to build a new life. Among several hundred thousand Asians from former British colonies who in the past 10 years have emigrated here in search of jobs and opportunity. This is where people from the former Commonwealth, particularly from South Asia as well as elsewhere, started to move in and around the inner centres of Birmingham. That's Rajinder Dedra. When Rajinder was growing up in Handsworth, he ate up the Bangor scene. He bought the cassettes, he wore the clothes, he went to the raves. Now he's a professor of cultural studies and creative industries at Birmingham City University. Rajinder says Handsworth was a real magnet for Punjabi immigrants to Birmingham. And that was for a number of reasons. One was close proximity to work. And actually, there were very few places immediately in the post-war period and in the, in the 70s and 80s which were giving housing to non-white recently arriving migrants. So Hansworth was one of the places where Asians, alongside other ethnic minorities, found uh, dwelling, found housing, found shelter. And this worked well for them. And also it felt a little bit like home because there were other people like them and British Asians alongside other ethnic minority communities started to make it their own. But they were entering into what we might today call a hostile environment. Across the country, the National Front, a far-right political group, was on the rise. In 1968, the Conservative MP Enoch Powell came to Birmingham to give his infamous Rivers of Blood speech. Even today, more than 50 years later, it's still utterly appalling. In this country, in 15 or 20 years' time, the black man will have the whip hand over the white man. Just imagine what it would have been like to hear that in a country you'd been invited to spend your life in. It almost passes belief that at this moment, 20 to 30 additional immigrant children are arriving from overseas in Wolverhampton alone every week. Powell specifically tried to blame South Asian immigration for what he saw as Britain's failings. It is like watching a nation busily engaged in heaping up its own funeral pyre. Powell was denounced by many. But the rhetoric fed an increasing sense of racial tension. In 1972, Gurdeep Singh Chagar, an 18-year-old student, was murdered by racists in Southall. It was into this environment that Amajit Sidhu, a young 18-year-old from Punjab, moved to the UK. I think we've all experienced racism. It existed from day one that we arrived in this country, but we just dealt with it. Amajit grew up in Punjab, but by 1970, he was living in Birmingham. He had been looking forward to moving to Britain. He loved the Beatles as much as he loved Bollywood. But he remembers the atmosphere in his new home being intense. When we were at school, we were called all sorts of different names, but you never, 
you know, you just got on with it and we went through different fights in school. Um, we, we, we coped, you know. There was a time when I'd be walking down the street and in those days um, there were two kinds of different people. There was the teddy boys and there were the skinheads and both both rough and uh, so if you were walking along and you saw uh, some white kids over the other side they would cross over with the intention that they were going to beat you up and uh, there were many a times that we got beaten up boy china the dj had similar experiences we were suffering from a lot of racism and there was a lot of anti-immigration the nazis the national front they used to kind of march every now and then through the city streets uh, through asian areas and that was a kind of a scary time as the country entered the 1980s the pot boiled over the rioters came from behind the security of their burning barricades to lob petrol bombs bricks the unrest and broke out on the broadwater farm estate in tottenham in october PC Blakelock was among a group of uniformed officers protecting fire crews during riots. They want an independent public inquiry into the police shooting of Mrs. Sherry Gross and the riots. Then the riots came to Birmingham. We, my family, used to live in Lozells, and we were quite in the thick of it at that time. And you could see, you know, the the destruction that happened. Uh, That was, again, a a scary time, but quite an uplifting time because it kind of uh, opened up a lot of people's eyes to the fact that, yeah, people are being downtrodden, people are not being given the opportunities to help themselves or even to get get work. It wasn't just racial tension. Thatcher was at war with the unions. Factories were closing. Social services were being cut. Britain was on edge. Something like this was waiting to happen, that it was a bit of a tinderbox because when people are pushed and pushed and pushed so much, uh, lack of resources, a lack of oxygen to breathe, live and uh, express and communicate themselves and there is lack of opportunities, then something has to give here. And I think the Hansworth riots uh, was a symbol or a culmination of all that coming together. So now imagine those afternoon raves again. If you were young and South Asian, going to these parties, away from your parents, away from the National Front, but among people who had similar experiences to you, wasn't just fun, it was a refuge. My first experience was like, wow, all these people, they're all like like me, they're all young, they're all Asian, and they're all into the music that I like, Bangra music. So what is Bangra anyway? Well, originally it was a type of dance, a folk dance in Punjab. It has its roots also to to do with the harvest. So when there was a good harvest, a bountiful harvest, farmers alongside their kith and kin and friends would celebrate. And this is where the dance and variations of the dance would use movements of sowing the land, uh, sowing, throwing seeds on the floor, enjoying themselves in, uh, in, in kind of glee where the hands would be raised. Bangra dancing is joyous and acrobatic. It tends to involve lifted hands and vigorous kicks and leaps, traditionally to the beat of a doll or a double-headed drum. British Bangra took the best of that tradition and merged it with everything else happening in British popular music. And it was something that we kind of, we could understand the, the lyrics and we loved the actual beats and it fused very well with what was happening at that time. It was a big fusion 
of of cultures probably similar to i'd say punk music and even even reggae as well where we kind of took a little bit of this and a little bit of that so in a way daytime was personally i think kind of created bangra music as it is today for rajinder bangra was nothing short of a cultural awakening British Bangra of the heydays of the, the mid to late 80s gave us this sense of confidence. It gave us a sense of possibility that things, however bad they were at that time, you know, politics aside under Thatcherism or, or just kind of urban decay aside, that things were possible. You were able to uh, be heard. You were able to make yourself heard. You were able to be seen and you were able to enjoy yourself. You were able to announce your presence in and through the music. And while the afternoon raves were secret... The music itself was increasingly heard, well, everywhere. People used to listen to Bangla music through the uh, the radio. There was a handful of radio stations at the time, and it was a little bit of word of mouth, basically about what was the latest cassette that was coming out. And there were albums coming out every other week. The best thing about going to like a music shop or even any shop at the time, you were selling these albums. You could actually listen to the album, you know, while you're standing in the shop. And if you liked the album, then you'd, you'd buy it. You know, there, right there and then. But Bangra spread far beyond the music stores. It became a way for Asian businesses to attract customers off the street. If you went down to the shops for your local groceries, chances are you'd walk under speakers playing that week's favorite tune. Gurmail is a longtime friend of Amajit, who grew up in Hansworth. When they were teenagers, she used to work in the shop directly opposite his pharmacy. I was lucky enough to, to be in a shop where if I couldn't buy a whole cassette, if I just wanted one song, I'd just copy it from another cassette and take it home. Even, it used to be blasting on Soho Road. It used to be just blasting in every shop. They used to stand outside with the cassettes and have a whole, like, a, a cassette player. People would actually stop and dance on the road. As for Amajit, things were about to change. When he was in his early 20s, he'd formed a band called Apna Sangeet, which means Our Music. And now, while Gurmel was dancing outside his shop, they were working on a new song. It was called Soho Road. That was like the first bit that came to, to my head. Soho Road Uta which means On Soho Road, was released in 1987. It was an instant hit. The main reason it became a big hit was the fact that it was a, a real good dance track. It was a, an, an amazing Bangra track that you could actually dance to. Uh, and the fact that it signified um, Soho Road, everyone could relate to Soho Road because Soho Road was becoming popular in Birmingham. So people around uh, around the country, they knew about Soho Road. So the idea of the song w- was myself, but it was actually put into the right context by the writer from India whose name was uh, Jashila. It's also a track which is a, partly a love story where some, you know, two lovers meet in India, one then moves across through the, the travails of mi- migration, as it were, to the UK, to Birmingham allegedly, and then the other lover is looking for them and then uh, they arrive on Soho Road and call out to them I'm finding you I'm looking for you where are you where are you I'm calling calling you out on Soho Road I think the ending of the song is that he's uh, he's still searching 
for for that girl. Uh, maybe he'll come across one day, you know. He's still wandering around on Soho Road. Uh, after that many years, he's still not found her yet. It wasn't just a hit. It was a turning point for the musical community, the moment when the Punjabi daytimers of Birmingham felt they were finally seen. I must have been on the South Road when I heard it, the impact that had on the industry and the impact it had on people in Birmingham to say, yeah, you know, we are creating something unique. We are creating something amazing. And to this day, that song is sung by not just uh, the, the old school guys, it's come by some of these new school people who appreciate the fact that Bangla music kind of was created in and around Hansworth, in and around Soho Road. It was the track that everybody wanted to dance to. This is my this is my song, this is my road, this is my town, this is you know where I'm where I'm from and I'm proud of where I'm from and proud of what I'm doing. The song also had a certain kind of nostalgic feel. A love story linking the fields of Punjab to the streets of Birmingham. Was that the love story of our parents or was that the love story of British Asian youth who were kind of finding their, their feet, finding their way? Are we British? Are we Asian? Are we a bit of both? It would be ridiculous to suggest that Soho Road helped improve race relations in Birmingham. Or indeed that any song would have the power to change entrenched prejudice in so direct a way. But British Bangra wasn't about fixing society. It was about being an equal and accepted part of society creating something uniquely British-Asian. We wanted to be a part of something, you know, the, the, the black culture had their reggae, they had their house parties, the heavy metal rockers had their little thing, but we didn't have that. We had a mix of everything which we created into what was what is now known as the daytime raves. And now looking back on it, we did kind of create something which was really unique to our generation, and it's something that will never be experienced again. But that doesn't mean the story of Bangra is over. Every five or ten years, it says oh, Bangra music is having a revival, Bangra music is having a revival. But to be honest, Bangra music's never really been away. It's just changed its form. Like, say, in the early 80s, we were fusing Bangra music with rock music, then it became Bangra music with reggae, then it became Bangra music with rap. Um, and now, people are fusing Bangra music with hip-hop, grime, and the lyrics that are coming out are more relevant to today's youngsters. The biggest difference? Unlike in Boy China's day, the kids who listen to Bangra now don't have to do it in secret. On Saturday, the 19th of June, 2021, the National Bangra Festival kicks off in Birmingham. Start time? The afternoon, of course. Reverberate is created and presented by me, Chris Michael. The producer of this episode was Esther Opokujeni. The executive producer is Peter Sale. And the lead producer for Guardian Podcasts is Max Sanderson. Original music and sound design is by Pascal Wise. And music rights clearance was by Tony Orkadesh of Torchlight Music. The development's executive producers were Shanita Scotland and Catherine Godfrey. Thanks for listening.